touch anybody because you'll shock them. All right. Okay, if you could turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter uh, 4. Ephesians 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 16. So Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Those of you who can't read small print, it is on the screen. My wife got me a big print Bible without me prompting her, so she's trying to tell me that I can't read either. So this thing weighs about 60 pounds, and, um, but I like it, man. It's got big letters, so I'm good. But starting uh, Ephesians 4, and starting with verse 1, it says, Therefore, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth no, be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. There's a few things that that's saying, obviously. But one thing that stands out to me is that he has tasked each one of us with a job. He's tasked each one of us uh, with a gifting. And sometimes we don't exercise those giftings in a church, and sometimes the church loses out on your gifting being in operation in the church. But one thing that he tasks us also with is being united as the body of Christ because when we see a church in full operation is when we see a church in full unity. You see something that is going on in that church that can't be explained. You see something happening in that church that kind of defies reason. Things happen here um, when we are united. One of the areas that Satan attacks is relationships. And I told Nicole about this probably like a month ago, I said, you know, I feel like Satan is attacking relationships very hard right now. And didn't think much more about it, and we, we talked about it a little more, maybe a week went by, and I said it again, and I didn't realize how, how true it was. And then last night, I'm flipping through the channels, and um, there's a guy that I, I really like, his name's Jimmy Evans, and he preaches out of Texas, and the first thing he said was, Satan right now is attacking relationships. And it really confirmed to me what 
he seems to be doing, and I think he's probably doing it across the board in, in the church, but he does attack relationships. He is known as Satan, and the name Satan, it means adversary, but it also means accuser. And so one of the things that he does in our lives is he comes to accuse, and he'll, he'll come in and he'll accuse you to yourself. He'll tell you how bad you are, how screwed up you are, or how many mistakes you made. So he's an accuser to you. He's an accuser to your wife or your husband. He gets you guys to fight when he can. He gets uh, some animosity going in the relationship. But even more so than that, he is an accuser of the brethren. And he accuses the brethren in your mind and in their minds with the task of disuniting the church. Because if he can disunite the church, then he can disunite the purpose that the church has to accomplish that is the body of Christ. Because there are specific things that God wants us to accomplish in his body, by his body, and by his spirit. And if we are disunited, we can't do that. We would concentrate more on being in disrepair, being angry, being upset. And we get so focused on those things sometimes, and we just can't seem to get out of it. And then when those things take place, what we need to do is stop, put a marker down, and say, Satan has been at work here, and I'm not going to listen to it anymore. But he loves to attack relationships in the church. He loves to disunify the church. We, in the church, need to be united as one body in Christ. That means that you know, no one is above the other. No one person can do all things. No one person is all things. No one person is above any other. But in the church, we work united in the body of Christ. That means if someone's sweeping floors, they're just as important as someone who is up on stage. It doesn't matter. Now, there's an, obviously a level of authority with each, with each office that's given to each office, but in God's eyes, there, God is no respecter of persons. So to God, nobody means more than the other person. So we're all one on one level in the body of Christ. Every born-again believer is a member of God's family. They are considered a brother or a sister in Christ. And so we have this common bond and this common bond is the fact that we are made one in the Spirit of God. We're made one. So we can understand that when one person in our body hurts or is uh, blasphemed or is accused or is down, that there is some level of, of, of spiritual sense that we get knowing that a part of our body isn't quite right. So we can understand that maybe if we feel depressed, and we can't explain why, that maybe somebody else in the body is suffering from depression. But we can relate, we can feel when one part of the body is hurting because we're all unified in the body of Christ. We have this common bond. We are born of God's spirit and our spirit man being born of God has some of the same traits that God our Father has. God our Father who art in heaven. We share some of those characteristics through his spirit you and i share some of those characteristics being the body of christ but the first point i want to talk about is the fact that we are the body of christ so being the body of christ one of the things that you are set apart by is the fact that you were obtained you were bought you have been redeemed meaning that something has been paid out for you that god no longer has you to the side and says you're still under my wrath but now you have been paid for 
And you have come under this, this banner or this umbrella of being God's child and being worth the blood of his son. So you have been paid for. So as being paid for, and when being paid for, you've been paid for with the highest price and the highest cost that there ever was. I was flipping through channels the other day, and I, I saw lifestyles of, it's not the rich and famous, but it's just lifestyles of the rich. And so there's these guys. This, this guy was building a house, $300 million for this house, and it's in Malibu. And this house is so huge where it is, and it overlooks the ocean, and it's beautiful. You walk, it's a, to me, it looks like a big box. But it's all mostly you know, glass everywhere you go in. And, and when you walked in the front door, he specifically didn't want you being able to see the ocean until you went past a certain point. So what did he do? He put in a wine cellar in the middle of the house. So it stretches all the way across the house, and it's all filled with wine. And, but it was the sole purpose for building that was just so when you walked in the house, you didn't see the ocean right away, that you had to walk past a certain point, and then you got to see the ocean. But that's stupid money. I saw another guy who had so much money, he built... He, didn't, he loved cars, and he had so many cars. He had millions of dollars worth of cars. But a car wasn't enough, so he built a car boat. And it, basically, it was a Jeep. And during the day, it was a regular Jeep. It was jacked up real high. And, you know, you'd never know. You, he's riding around in, in, on this, in this Jeep. It's like, that's a nice Jeep. But when he got to the ocean, the, the wheels went up into the wheel wells where you could barely see him. And then the, the bottom came out as a boat, and he was on the water. It looked like a car was, you know, on the water flying around. But it was this, this stupid car was like $300,000, $400,000. It's like, you know, it just it boggles your mind. Where am I going with this? I don't know. But it, it, that, all that stuff is nothing in comparison with the price that you have been paid for. That, it's, it's not even worthy. The, the price that has been given for us outweighs any of those riches. So we have been bought. In Acts 20, 28, it says... And I'll wait. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. And this is the point which he hath purchased with his own blood. So we know the blood of Jesus Christ is uh, is worth something. It's worth more than anything. Christ shed his blood for us. And by shedding his blood for us, what he did is he legally obtained us. He redeemed us from our fate and condition of sin. And the definition of redeem is this, to buy back, to get, to win back, to free from what distresses or harms, to free from captivity by payment or ransom, to release from blame or debt, to free from the consequences. So if you have been bought by the blood of Christ, you have been freed from the consequences of sin. You have been released from blame or debt. You have been redeemed with the highest price. Ephesians 1.7, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So we have redemption through his blood. We're bought. We are new in Christ. Christ is our head now. He is our leader. He is who we follow. We stay connected to him. Ephesians 5.23, it says, for, for the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, and he is Savior of the body. So he is our head, and we are the body. And our Redeemer, who saved us, is our master as well. He's not just our head, but he's our master. He's our leader. He's our example. He's our teacher. He's our head. And we are his body. So as his body, what we have to do is we have to constantly uh, look at the head. Have you ever seen a chicken 
Well, I know Dan has. Have you ever seen a chicken with a head cut off? Back in the day, you know, they used to do that, and Dan, you know all about it. My mom used to tell me they'd, you know, go this the chicken, or they would just go chop the chicken's head off, and then the, the, the chicken would kind of start jumping around without the head. But there, it would be no, there would have no direction. It would just start hopping around everywhere. Not to get graphic on you. And it, but it would just start hopping around the yard, and it, but it had no purpose to where it was hopping, so it would just go anywhere and everywhere hopping around, right? Because it had no head. And we can't be like the chicken without a head. We have to have purpose to where we are going, to our direction. We have to have a purpose in our lives in Christ. We have to always look to the head. Because when we, when we quit looking to the head for our direction, we start making steps that have no order. And how many times have you caught yourself saying, what am I doing in my life? It's been six months since I have prayed. It's been a year since I have asked God for direction. And then you look back and you think, wow, that, this last year feels like there's no direction. This last year feels like I am like a chicken without a head. It's because sometimes we don't look to the head to give us direction. And naturally, we feel like we're outside of our element, and we should, because we're a body without a head. But the body only does, and it should only do, what is directed by its head. So we need the head, which is Jesus Christ, to give us direction day in and day out. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 um, through 27, it says, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not, of, not the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the part which lacked, that there should be no schism or separation in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. One thing that the enemy likes to do to the body of Christ is he likes to create separation. He likes to create the schism between the body of Christ. And so what he does is he'll come into your life and he'll try to isolate you from the body of Christ. He'll try to convince you that you don't need to go to church. He'll try to convince you that you don't need to be among believers. And he'll give you every reason thinking, well, you know, I don't need to really go you know, and be with them. I, I, I've got stuff going on. I, you know, this is more of a priority. And what we fail to see is that sometimes is Satan in our minds speaking to us, getting us to be separated from the flock because it is much easier to attack a sheep that's run off away from the flock than it is to attack a sheep that's connected to the shepherd and to the other sheep where you can have direct supervision from the shepherd over your life because you're connected to the sheep and to the shepherd. We get outside of that and we find ourselves feeling like we're separated. We feel like we have 
Uh, maybe they just don't understand me anymore. Maybe uh, they don't care about me, really. Maybe I've, I'm too bad. I have done too many things to be connected to this group. And all these thoughts come up in our head, but the bottom line is, it is an attempt to keep you away from the flock. It is an attempt to separate you. So be careful, because Satan is out to separate you. God, in his wisdom, is never swayed by who we are in this world. And a lot of people have a hard time with that. Especially Nicole Tadon, the rich young man this morning. And I love that story. Um, but he went away sad because he couldn't give up his riches. But so many people think that God is swayed by how good we are, how put together we are, how organized we are, how accomplished we are. And I, whenever I talk to my brother, I, I always get that thing with him because my brother is like, military style you know everything's perfect on him and he has accomplished so much in this world and and he's just accomplished you know what I mean and, and I always felt like well I'll never add up to what he is you know and he's a, a captain in the Wyoming State Police and you know everything he's great with his money and he, he just he everything's perfect you know and all polished but you know God isn't impressed by how accomplished we are on this earth and if he was then there'd be no need for salvation because you could just work your way into it and you could accomplish your salvation. But how hard it is for people on this earth who are accomplished to understand it means nothing in the sight of God. Nothing. But we work so hard to be accomplished. And I used to work so hard to be accomplished. And then I, I kind of caught myself and, and the Lord revealed to me, what are you trying to accomplish? And who are you trying to accomplish it for? Because I found myself trying to accomplish it to meet a picture that somebody else had placed on me that I never placed on myself. Well, I placed it on myself because of this other person. And I, I thought, what am I doing? I'm never going to accomplish what God told me I could never accomplish to begin with. But God never sees us, and God is never swayed by what we are in this world. And that's hard to comprehend because we're constantly trying to add up to something. And we think God is, is watching us, wanting us to add up to something. But we will never accomplish superiority or goodness in his eyes. We can never do it. That's why it had to come through Jesus Christ. In Acts, Romans, and 1 Peter, it explains this. It explains that God is no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of persons, but what he does is he makes us in our unaccomplishment, he makes us who we are in Jesus Christ. And so when the body of Christ comes together, all these people who are really unaccomplished and nothing in their own eyes and shouldn't be in their own eyes, they find that they are only something in Christ and we're all on the same level. So when we all come together, on the same level as the body of Christ, it's much easier to be united because there's no levels. There's no, that this person's up here, we're going to place them on a pedestal. This person's down here, they're lowly. There's none of that. It's all taken away because God is no respecter of persons. What he does is he makes us who we are in Jesus Christ. So the only thing in common that we have that makes us anything is who we are in Jesus Christ, connected together one in him, caring for one another, giving honor to the more feeble, 
when one suffers, we all suffer because we're all part of the same spiritual body in Christ. There was an article in Reader's Digest, and the, the title of it is, What Good is a Tree? And I might have used this illustration a long time ago, I can't remember. But it explained that a tree in a forest um, has roots, obviously, and when the, the roots of the trees touch in the forest, you'd think that they would kill each other, you know, competing for the soil, competing for nutrients. But what happens is there is a substance on the roots that reduce competition, and it's also known as a fungus. And what happens is it helps the roots of the tree to connect. And they connect even though they're different trees. The roots connect. And um, the whole forest, people have found out from digging up roots and whatnot, is that the whole forest may be linked together in some way by the root system. Even though you go through a forest and you see that you know, trees are in different areas, if you dug up the ground, you'd find that all the trees, even though different species, they all underground go and find another root, but that fungus makes them not compete for soil. But what it makes them do is it makes them connect to where if one can't get nutrients itself, that by connecting to the other tree, it gets nutrients and water through the other root. And so what happens is the trees find themselves sharing and connecting themselves to each other, that there's never a competition. And we're in the body of Christ. We're like these trees in the forest. We physically look different. On the outside, it may seem like we're disconnected, that we physically look different, but the truth is we are all linked together, not in competition, but in the sharing of nutrients and oxygen and sustenance to live. This linking together, this is God's desire for us as the church. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. So we're in need one of the other. We are in need one of another in the church. We're, we're in need of being united. We're in need of, of living together sharing sustenance together. And Paul warned in Hebrews 10.25, he says this, he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. And we know that right now we are in the last days and this is what he's referring to. He says, don't forsake assembling. He says, especially as you see the day approaching, as you see the day of Christ coming back approaching, don't forsake it even then, even more so. Stress, push yourself, make sure you are attending, make sure you are connected to the body of Christ because times will keep getting worse and we need to keep getting more connected as those times approach. We promote unity by being here. We promote uh, health by being here together. Ephesians 4, 2, it says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. This is how we're to be united as a church body. And then verse 3 goes on to say, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we endeavor. And an interesting word, it uses endeavor. Endeavor means to strive, to achieve, or to reach. To attempt by exertion or effort to work with set purpose. So no matter what we're doing in the church, one of our 
main goals is to endeavor to be united. Is above all else that we strive for the fact that we need to be united. It says to attempt by exertion that even if it kills us, even if it causes you know, physical difficulty, we have to strive to be united in the body of Christ. We have to work with set purpose to be united in the body of Christ. We make it our goal. When a runner runs a race, he doesn't run a race with a backpack. He doesn't run a race with golf clubs, with hand weights, with a pickaxe. He doesn't, he doesn't, you never see uh, somebody running track and carrying all these things. They take off everything. Matter of fact, they wear the minimum. They wear these tank tops and these shorts, and that's it. And some of them even shave their legs because they don't want the resistance of the wind you know, on their legs when they're running. That's how, you know, stripped they get. So when we run the race, we run the race without hindrances, knowing that whatever is considered a hindrance of our lives needs to be taken off. So if, if there is something that is causing disunity in the church, we lay it aside. We say, I have a set mark for the church, for the body of Christ, for my brother and sister in Christ. And that set mark is unity. So anything that gets in the place of unity, I need to take that off, to put it behind me, to let it go, and set that thing ahead of me that I know is pertinent in the church, and that is the unity of the body. Set those things aside, which hinder the goal, because our true goal is unity. Um, we run with that goal in mind. There's, there's a, another story about Frank Reed. He was a hostage in the Lebanon cell for four years, and for months at a time, Reed was blindfolded. He lived in complete darkness. He was chained to a wall. He was kept in absolute silence. And on one occasion, he was moved to another room. And although he was blindfolded, he could sense there was others in the room. But it was three weeks before he dared peek out to discover that he was actually chained to two other men, Terry and Tom. He was beaten. He was made ill. He was tormented. Uh, Reed felt that most of the... Uh, of the time that he considered that no one cared for him. And when he was released, finally, he said in an interview in Time magazine, he said, nothing I did mattered to anyone, and I began to realize how withering it is to exist with not a single expression of caring around me. I learned one overriding fact. Caring is a powerful force. If no one cares, then you are truly alone. We in the body of Christ don't have to be alone. We don't have to think that no one cares for us because as the body, we're connected. As the body, we care for one another in the bond of unity, in the bond of Christ. We're, as the body of Christ, we have the benefit of not living alone, of not being separated and not thinking that no one cares about me because the truth is the body of Christ does and Jesus Christ himself does and that's a blessing that we have. So although Satan's goal in our lives, and we have to watch out for this every day. Watch out for it in your mind. Watch out for it in your life. But Satan's goal for you is to be disunited from the body of Christ. So what does he do to do that? He accuses. He accuses you of something that you've done. He accuses you of, of failing, falling. You're not as good. You know, all those things you grew up with and you thought to yourself, you know, he brings those things back. You know, well, you, if they knew who you were, if they knew the thoughts that were going through your mind, if they knew what you've done, 
What he doesn't tell you is he says the same thing to everybody else too. You know, and we all have those thoughts. But he wants you to consider those thoughts. He wants you to take those thoughts and, and dwell on them because the main purpose is he wants to separate you from the flock so he can attack you even further. And then after he accuses you to yourself, he'll start accusing your brother to you or your sister to you or your mate to you or your kids to you with the sole fact that he wants to disunite you from the body of Christ and from other believers. God's goal is unity in your life. God's goal is unity. And what God does is he doesn't accuse you as Satan accuses you. And sometimes we take that as God's voice, that he's accusing me, that I feel condemned. Lord, what are you doing to me? But God never accuses you. But what God does is he comes in and he edifies you. He dusts you off. He says, that's not who I made you to be. That's not who you are. That's not who I see. And so he edifies you with the purpose of keeping you united to the body of Christ and being united to himself. Satan wants to separate. God wants to unify and connect you to himself. So watch out for the tactics of the enemy. Watch out for Satan's voices in your head and commit to be united and remain in the body of Christ. You'll find strength there. You'll find purpose there. You'll find joy there. Will you stand with me? Just pray this morning with me. Father, we thank you, Lord. Father, that you have joined us into a body, Lord, that is headed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, that we're to look to the head. Father, that we're to get to direction from the head. But Lord, you have sought for us to be connected and we are connected in the Spirit of God. But Lord, help us to be wary. Help us to be mindful of how the enemy seeks to separate, to alienate, to separate. And Lord, to attack us as he's doing it. Father, to manipulate and to get us removed from our source of joy. To get us removed from the truth that is in your word that connects us as believers. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us strength to understand that when the attack comes, where it's coming from, what the purpose is of the attack. Lord, to be able to understand what the attack is and to take note of it, to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, to cast down every thought and imagination that's not of you, Lord. Father, sometimes we take those thoughts and we think, well, this is my own. This is how I feel. But Lord, let us to understand that those aren't our thoughts, that those thoughts are from the enemy. And Lord, he ultimately wants to separate us and keep us from the body of Christ. Lord, unite us. Make us even more one, Lord, as you and your Father are one. And Father, help us to operate as one with you as our head, Lord, taking every hindrance out of our lives, understanding our lowly position before you and operating in love and edification and in unity and peace. Father, we cover this church in your blood. We cover the purpose in your blood. We cover each other in your blood. And Lord, help us to take note and to pray for one another, to edify one another. And Father, to always be united in Jesus' name.
Amen.